Hunters and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host Ollie Kune. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And we're delighted to welcome Marina Ayton. Marina, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today, Marina. Our audience is definitely in for a super treat here today. Thanks. <laughs> indeed, indeed. By way of an introduction, Marina, you're currently regional director for the majors team at Zscaler. And you, you've established an incredible reputation amongst your peers and within the industry. And remarkably, eight years of not achieving less than 200% of your target. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible achievement. And since then, you've actually gone and started to build world-class teams of your own, of which every single person in your team is now on President's Club. So I just really want to start by understanding, what do you put that success down to? Uh, I'm going to give a really simple answer, and then I'll uh, dig into it a little bit. But for me, to be honest, it's all around consistency. Uh, turning up to work every single day, having done the preparation, having done uh, the due diligence that you need before every single meeting, and doing the basics really, really well. Right? I believe in PG. I believe that you know PG gives you options, allows you to ask difficult questions, and therefore, um, when I was a rep. That was the single non-negotiable that I did every single day. Two hours, non-negotiable every day. And, and not to mention, you know, the day that I spent on it on a Monday. Um, so for me, when I was an IC, that was really the core of all successes. Um, and what I found was that the more new business meetings you booked, the more people in accounts you talked to, um, the more um, brave decisions you made to call CIOs, CEOs, CFOs, whatever it was, the more information you gathered. Um, and that led me very simply to just have more opportunities than most people. Um, because I was doing it consistently, I wasn't saying, right, I'm running this deal. Um, I'm going to just carry on running that and, and neglect the basics. I, I learned a strategy in a way to balance both PG and the visible opportunities that I was running. And that was the art that I felt like when I was like really running as a rep and had like my biggest performing years that I really mastered that skill. And what that skill allows you to do is when you've got loads of visible opportunities, it allows you to qualify a lot harder, right? It allows you to walk into a room and ask the really difficult questions that no one else wants to ask because they're too scared of getting the answers. But if you've got a pipeline full of other deals that you can go and figure out, what you're doing is simply qualifying your own time. So um, fundamentally, that that is actually what it was. I mean, there are obviously things like um, be like when I was a rep. Um, that we've like that that I'll talk about later, but you know it's about working harder than everyone else, being in the office, asking for help from different leaders, um, being interested in the technology, and then I think one of the things, and now that I'm a leader, what I look for in people, um, and I think it's one of the the key kind of characteristics of like brilliant people compared to average people is this innate curiosity, this curiosity to truly understand your customers, to consult, to figure out problems, not to leave, you know, um, not to allow kind of surface level conversations and just take that away and say, yeah, that'll be fine. That'll tick my, uh, my box, but to actually, you know, 
dive deeper, figure out individual, like, um, sorry, you know, figure out personal wins of the people that you're talking about, all of these things that make you ultimately a more rounded salesperson or really, you know, a a consultant at at that point. It's it's incredible that that obviously it's, you know, PG has set you free. I I, I love the analogy of, you know, I love the analogy of the fact that you're able to ask those more difficult questions because you've got more options. So obviously you've got almost less to lose and and you're willing to be almost much more assertive because you, because you've, yeah, absolutely. Because you've been able to obviously put that time in. So obviously, you know, as an IC, that's really served you well. You've got the formula, you've got your, your rhythm, but how have you then been able to then translate that and, and assert that on your teams because your teams are formidable in just the same way that you are. So, so how, how have you been able to kind of transition what you do personally and, uh, and support your teams in the, in the right way? What are the foundations to that? Um, for me, it's all around hiring the right people, figuring out what are the people that you are going to get the best out of. And for me, I'm looking for not like mini me's, right? That's not going to work. You have to have a diverse team because you have to have a different, um, different perspective, different age groups, different thoughts, different ways of uh, problem solving. So for me, that's really important. Hiring like lots of different people with different perspectives, um, and I've really, really focused on that. Right? Um, I um, I think then it's around like what is the person like who is the person that I'm going to be able to get the most out of from developing them from making them um, like, you know, uh, developing them and also just like making them like ensure that they enjoy coming to work every day. And so for me, I'm always looking for the people who are tenacious, that have grit, that have demonstrated that they've uh, come through adversity um, in order to get where they are, that are not entitled, right? You know, you talk about um, software sales. I think we've all gone through this huge boom and bust that we're definitely seeing collapsing now, right? Where uh, deals were easy, money was cheap, um, uh, companies were raising at crazy valuations, you were giving people, um, you know, massages in the office or whatever it is. That's now not, not going to be a thing and moving forward, it definitely won't be. Um, and making sure that from a leadership perspective, and this is something that I think is like so important for like driving success in your team, is that you have to be able to. Um, sell a vision right and you have to believe in that vision and for me like if you look at my team this year a brand new team that i've i've run like a few teams now in zscaler and i run the majors team but the team that i have now um our whole mission this year and vision this year that we come back to every single week is think big and the idea behind that so it's very basic right but the idea behind that is i want to be the highest performing team in the entire company I want to be the most dependable team in the entire company, i.e. sticks to their forecast, does the fundamentals, sticks to the basics. Um, and, um, and through that, you have, to, you have to have a vision of this think big idea of doing things that no one has done before, right? So if the biggest deal in the company is $40 million, how are we going to do a $45 million deal? Why aren't we selling the entire platform rather than just an element of it? And it's inspiring people to believe that they can do something that no one else has done. And I, and I am really passionate about breaking all of those boundaries and barriers and encouraging my team. And quite often, right, as you mentioned, like I'm very early in my career. Um, I've been doing this for like 
uh, in Playbook like eight years, um, but I've got a lot to learn, right? So some of these deals, it's like a little bit of imposter syndrome. Some of these deals that you're doing are much bigger than the deals that I've ever done. And so it's about coaching people through that, asking for help from other people, all of these things. Um, but from a leadership perspective, having a really high performance team, I believe that it all starts with a vision. And then um, as part of that, um, the team has to, uh, the, uh, the team has to trust you implicitly and trust is earned, right? So it's over a period of time where you build a relationship. Um, and for me, like, I, I think, I hope some of them might be listening, uh, but I create an environment where people feel very safe, safe to fail, safe to try things that they might not necessarily try, like uh, try on their own, like encourage them to do that. Um, and yeah, so I feel really passionately about that. So, so how do you create an environment where people feel safe to fail, but at the same time consistently smash their number out of the park? So I think it comes down to the people that you hire again or the character that you are, right? Um, everyone joins, well, in, every, if you join for the right reasons, these playbook companies, you join to learn, right? Learn, earn, and have fun. That's like the, the dream <laughs> that everyone's selling. Uh, but it's true. So creating an environment where you are constantly challenging people, where you are um, encouraging them to do the difficult thing that other people want, encouraging them to look for bad news. Like we celebrate bad news. We start a forecast call with what is the big issue and how can we solve it? Like that, that is like the, the mentality that we have. And the other thing is, is that, you know, the people that achieve 200%, right, are not the norm. They are the A players. They are the people that are like putting themselves out there to go and do what other people don't do. And if you don't challenge them, and you don't create an environment of trust, at, they won't learn. They won't learn anything. They won't feel challenged in that environment and they will leave. And you will lose great talent if you don't do that. Um, so I think it's definitely, we don't always get it right either. I think that's important to say, right? Sometimes you can really push people, but you really need to understand um, from like an emotional intelligence perspective, when to pull back, when people are struggling, when people, um, you know, aren't feeling great because things are going on at home. And I think actually uh, being a female leader, I feel very lucky to be uh, a female leader in sales because I think we're more empathetic. I think that um, we we can sense things going on a bit better than, than uh, men sometimes in some situations. Um, and I think we uh, naturally want to create a like homely, safe environment where where people can come and, and talk to you about anything. And so I suppose that there are non-negotiables as well. Obviously, you know, within that, there have to be non-negotiables. It's one thing having the right attitude and the hunger to learn. But, you know, what are those non-negotiables? Is it, it, and, and how open are you about those non-negotiables with, with your team? Fully transparent. I mean... I'm I'm incredibly direct as a as a person and definitely as a leader. It's definitely something that maybe I need to need to work on for sure. But um, I am a fan of uh, very direct communication. I um, I there are fundamentals and everyone knows about them when when they when they come into the team. The fundamentals are PG. The fundamentals are if. Uh, delivering like preparation for meetings and making sure that you make a good use of that per the other person in the meetings time 
you know, we have a responsibility to go to our customers and um, represent Zscaler, right? And with that becomes a, uh, comes a responsibility where you have to execute at a certain level. You have to prepare, uh, like, you know, documentation, decks or whatever at a certain level. And that's, for me, just table stakes, right? That's why we're paid a base salary is to execute at a, at a specific level, um, but yeah, it's not. No one, no one's shocked by that. It's very clear what what the you know leading indicators, if you want to call them, are. Um, and as a team, um, we at the beginning of the year we set a, a stretch target for ourselves. We come back to it every quarter. We review the progress against the stretch target. We we talk about how our team operate in in the business. So, for example, um, how many days a week we're in the office. What days should be uh, customer days. Um, you know, we do um, we do skip levels, for example. So, you know, um, so I can get direct feedback from my team um, on how they're feeling and how they're doing. I don't think they're going to tell me everything. So I get, uh, you know, my a, a leader of mine to, you know, do that session and we get the feedback and we use it and then we improve it for the team. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, um, I believe that flexibility is earned, right? And 100% um, when everyone is doing like their best, everything that they can be, you know, meeting this bar, um, you can be flexible in the way that you, you then start to run the team as well. So Marina, tell us, how did it all begin for you? How did you get into software sales? So I never knew 100% that I wanted to be in software sales, right? But there were a few things um, that led me down that path. When I left university, um, I wasn't really entirely sure what I wanted to do. But during that time, I'd set up a business uh, selling steel enforced fiberglass cherry blossom trees. It's a very, very niche. Um, but what I what I used that business to do at university was fund everything that I wanted to do. So I had this like, you know, complete drive that... Um, if you work really hard and you uh, make as many phone calls as you physically can, send as many emails to people as possible, that had led me to, you know, having quite a lucrative university career because I had money to spend. I could go do what I want. And better um, at that point, you know, I was like super into like going to music festivals. So I figured out a way where I could ring Glastonbury and be like, I've got these trees. You need to have them. Um, I'll sell them to you for this much if you give me two tickets. And I did it all the time, right, for three years. And it was really fun. Anyway, when I left university, I was like, I was like, I need to use some of those skills that I kind of built in that environment um, and figure out a job that allows me to do that. And I was looking, I remember I was like traveling in Australia and I was like, I really, I really need to get a job when I get back. Otherwise, I'm literally not going to have any money, not going to have anywhere to live, not going to have all of this stuff. Um, and I came across, um, I did loads of research and actually my research was really basic. It was like, where do you learn the most and what environment do you learn the most in? Um, how can I make as much money as possible quickly uh, with not any credibility whatsoever? Um, and it all led me to this idea of like an SDR tech sales thing. I listened to loads of podcasts. I wish Hunters and Unicorns was around 10 years ago. It would have been very helpful. Um, <laughs> and I found this uh, small um, retail technology company and I emailed the CTO uh, through LinkedIn and I said I'm really interested in your company and at the time you know my parents had been in retail and both entrepreneurs in that space so I knew a little bit about it you know POS systems and stuff like that they weren't like uh, things that I'd never heard of so I was like I can talk with a little bit of credibility in an interview anyway when met the CTO 
thought he was fantastic. He, I didn't really understand technology. I hadn't studied computer science, so I wasn't really aware of it. But I kind of um, said to him in the interview, like, I will make as many calls as you can possibly imagine. Um, I will meet as many customers. I will be told no as many times as you want, as long as you teach me exactly how the technology works, how you pull it together, how you build product, all of this stuff. And he agreed to it. Um, and so that's, that was my first gig, right? We were, it was like a basement, <laughs> basement room in Borough. We were on an accelerator program. We didn't even have a product at this point. So, uh, but we were selling like endless aisle solutions. So, you know, if you go into like um, Uniglo, for example, and they don't have your coat that you want in the store, um, it allowed you to connect your uh, e-commerce system with the uh, endless aisle solution or kiosk in the store. And so they wouldn't lose a sale when someone came in. Anyway, so I spent my first bit of my career literally promising people the world and then we'd go and build it for them effectively. Um, but it, I guess it was a really interesting turning point because uh, suddenly, you know, we, we landed Travis Perkins, we landed Uniglo, we landed um, a number of other like key clients that we didn't think that we would get in the first like year and a half, all from cold call outreach, all from people that we just found on LinkedIn. Um, and then we started to grow, then we needed more people, then we started hiring people, we had more people in the office doing different things. And I realized that I was like, God, I'm like, two years out of university, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've chucked a bit of mud at the wall, seems to have stuck, but there's no way I am qualified in any, in any matter of the word uh, to uh, help anyone else, uh, well, teach anyone else how you do this. Um, and I think that turning point for me was like, right, I need to go and search for where I'm going to learn the most and basically be put through sales school. Because I think that was like the, that was like the moment where it was like, I think I can do this. I, I like the challenge. I like being told no and going and figuring out another way uh, to turn that no into a yes. Um, so that's how I kind of got into it. And so, so how did uh, App Dynamics come about then? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so at that point in my, uh, at that point, I was like, right, I need to search for some that is uh, the best and naturally started reading all of these blogs. Um, I don't think podcasts are actually even a bigger thing then, but like reading blogs, speaking to recruiters, figuring out. And I remember this uh, article came up that Jeremy had written and I thought, oh my God, this is exactly what I want to learn. This is someone who is, you know, putting um, a science behind selling has a product uh, has a process sorry that is repeatable and it's a formula that if I learn it it will make me in uh, like indefinitely successful um, and so I reached out to Jeremy um, and Steve McCluskey at the time and I yeah I said I've been reading all about this I want to be part of the journey I've read about app dynamics it sounds amazing can I come and interview and that was really how I found them and when I first got to App Dynamics, you know, I think because I come out of university and I was like, oh, I've done uh, I've done really well for the last two years. I was I was like reasonably confident right when I got there. But um, uh, and I had some really challenging interviews, the interview process, you know, normal ICE criteria and stuff like that. But I hadn't been taught how to do that. I, I didn't have a recruiter telling me how to structure a, how to structure an uh, interview like that. It was completely bizarre to me anyway. So that was challenging in itself. Um, and then I remember I got offered the job. McCluskey said to me at the end of the interview, 
uh, is there anything that you want to ask? And I was like thinking in my head, I was like, mm. he was like, maybe have I got the job? And I was like, yeah, 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 that one. <laughs> 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 um, at that, at that point, he then went to uh, one of his leaders and said, Marina's going to start. And, and, and this job was for a commercial role, right? Because I'd effectively done the SDR and closing role in my previous job. So I just just assumed I'd get the uh, commercial job. Anyway, then I remember getting a call the next day and it was like from the hiring manager that uh, that Steve had like put me in contact with. And they said, um, PG is the most important thing um, at App Dynamics here. And we don't believe that you've got the track record to do it. So uh, here's, our, here's our new offer. You can either be an S, uh, BDR, um, but you can't be a commercial rep. So you either take the BDR job or nothing. And I was like, I remember like getting off that call, being really disappointed and being like, right, I've got to like suck up everything and, and, and take a step back, not that big a step back, right? Um, to go and learn the basics and do, do a really good job. So, but I used it as an opportunity, I remember, because I, I sat back and I was like, right, what do I really want from this next gig? And how am I going to get the person that clearly has, you know, said yes to me in an interview to back me and, and almost invest in me. So I, I, I spoke to McCluskey and I said, I will take the SDR job, no problem. But there are going to be a set of, can we agree, a set of criteria that if I hit these things that will be way above the targets, right? Um, firstly, will you agree that you will promote me if I am successful? And secondly, can I please be put in a team where I can learn from the best? Because that's all I cared about at the time, right? Um, and that... And, and that conversation was the first like negotiation conversation, serious negotiation conversation in a playbook company that has really set the tone for my entire career. It is genuinely that decision to take that BDR job has transformed. I wouldn't I wouldn't be in the role that I am today if I hadn't have taken that because what it allowed me to do. So weirdly, um, this is funny. So um I so I was a BDR, so I went in. I was working for um, Izzy Elmas, who's now you know runs everything outside of the US for Zed Scaler. Um, I was working for him. He was like the RD running the team. Then I had Jason Green, I had Espen, I had Catherine, I had Eric, and I was their BDR. And what I figured out a way to do was if I'd hit all my targets, which I uh, like, I think it was like two hundred percent of my target was like four MBMs every week. And I figured out if I if I booked the four MBMs on Monday and Tuesday, then I, I had spoken to Izzy and I said, if I booked all of that and I'll carry on doing it through the week, can I fly to all of these different countries and go and shadow these reps and learn from them? And that's what I did. So I just made sure that I was super organized. I worked all day Sunday. I got all of my prep ready. And on Monday, I just executed. And then the rest of the week, I was shadowing the best reps in the company, building the best deals. I was sitting on all these QBRs. I was just a sponge. I was asking questions. I built confidence up, um, which I think is like pretty scary being a BDR when you first go into one of those companies. Um, and I built all this confidence up to learn to ask for help. And that has stood me in such a good place now I'm not afraid to ask for help. I know that I'm not the finished article, never really will be. Um, so that's that's how I got to App Dynamics, and then um, and then App Dynamics was a, a huge learning curve for me. Right, I was promoted from BDR into commercial, then to enterprise, etc. And then 
and and had some great great leaders right that really shaped shaped who I am as a leader today in terms of like the bar of excellence that's set and stuff like that um but also really pushed me and challenged me and you know that environment not for everyone for sure um but I thrived off it it was mm. like challenging difficult you were constantly the bar was being raised and I loved that and I was competing against the best people and that's what was really fun Marina, you, you make it sound so easy, right? And I really want to continue at this point. I want to come back to this point and, and really focus on, you know, where your career went from here. Um, but the bit that stands out and the bit that I'd really like to know, and I'm sure some of our viewers would, is where does it come from? Where, where do you get that forward thinking and you know, the, this is where I am. This is where I need to get to. Where does that come from? And how have you been able to map out that journey in such a mature way? So I think it all comes from being a bit neurotic, to be honest, and maybe uh, a bit of a planner, right? But I think ever since I left university, I'm better with a plan, right? I, I, I know I have like a 10 year plan on a spreadsheet. I have a five year plan and I definitely have a three year plan. And at every stage of my career, that three year plan is set out and is very clear uh, across everyone that I meet, right? I don't try and hide it. I'm not embarrassed by it. I, uh, um, I use it as a tool to say, if I wanna get here in the next three years, what are the gaps that I need to work on? What are the things that you believe are not going to enable me to pro progress to that point, for example? Um, I, think, um, I think that you have to be careful about that, <laughs> like that three-year vision, right? Because actually what you have to focus on is doing the fundamental things every single day. And so that's, that, like, I, I, I hold myself accountable every day with a very high bar that's set particularly when i was a rep right when you're when you are a rep you are you you're everyone in the playbook everyone talks about you being the gm of your own business right it, it it's true but ultimately all that means is that you have a responsibility every single day um to deliver what you say you're going to do and invest in yourself in your team um and you know i think I think for me, one of the things, one of the things that I've always done is do the difficult, like choose a difficult path, right? Maybe some of the things that other people might not have done. Actually, I'll tell you a story, right? So when I was, when I first ever got to Zscaler, I was here as a, as a rep and, and I remember it was really tough at the beginning, right? They, uh, Zscaler just IPO'd at the time. It's like four years ago now. Um, and it was like a lot of change was happening. A lot of new people have been bought in. Jay, our CEO, had bought in um, Dali um, to kind of build a, a playbook culture. Um, but we weren't doing big deals at all, right? We were doing... Uh, we were doing small tactical deals, most of them sourced by the channel. We didn't really have like an outbound, um, an outbound sort of uh, cadence and team. Um, and I remember like banging my head against a wall being like, oh my God, I just need like one break, one meeting that's going to enable me to, to do this. Um, and everyone else had gone to the pub. It was like 7.30 on a Thursday evening. And I was sat there with, um, with Jason actually, Kareen. Um, and I said, I'm going to make like an hour more of cold calls. I'm just going to write up the scripts and we're going to get a meeting. Anyway, one of the uh, cold calls that I made at 7.15 on a Thursday evening while everyone else was in the pub 
um, and everyone would like, you know, they'd all gone and be like, why aren't you coming? Uh, was to a CIO of a really big insurance company. Um, and that was the call that I made that changed my whole career. After that, I did my, I did one of the first ever uh, six figure deals in, uh, in the UK, I think even in Amir at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, ran the playbook execution process from start to finish. You know, we did sort of 65 meetings with that. We had executive sponsorship. Um, and it had all come from that cold call. So it's a very long winded way of answering your question. But I think, um, doing things that, uh, like doing the difficult thing that other people might not want to do. Mm. So you've clearly had a great foundation, education, app, app dynamics. You've been surrounded by, you know, incredible leaders. And obviously Zscaler, Dali Rajik took the, the, you know, the big seat, the CRO seat, and, and many of the team transitioned across, across to Zscaler. Why did you choose to, to, to kind of follow that, that journey? Yeah, so I think... Um when the Cisco acquisition happened with AppDynamics, um, I had made a kind of, I think, conscious decision um, that if we became more like Cisco, it probably wasn't as fast paced and as exciting for me. Um, and I, you know, my criteria for a job has not changed since I effectively left university, right? There are three things that I look for in any business. Uh, one is the market, is it growing? Uh, is, is the market growing? Is the product market fit great? Um, and is it recession proof? That And that's, you know, even more important now. The second is leadership. Have they done it before? Um, for me, the, the best signs of a fantastic leader is someone that has a following, someone that follows people. I think when Dali came here, it was like 67 people followed him like crazy. Can you imagine? Um, like that is a sign of like true leadership. And then from a, uh, the third point is around, is that place in a position to develop me as a professional and to allow me to earn uh, what, what I want to earn, right? So those are my three criteria. And um, going back a bit, when I, was, when I was at AppDynamics, you know, the learning was beginning to slow down a little bit. Some of the leaders that I really, really liked, Mike McCluskey and Jeremy were just leaving. And I was like, right, it's time for a new thing. And I went out to market. And... Um, I went out to market and I interviewed so many places. Um, and the reason I did that, all playbook companies, the reason I did that was because when I first left the startup that I was at and gone to AppDynamics, I made a beeline for them. I only ever interviewed for them. And the interview process was so odd to me uh, that I thought, well, I need to, if I, I, I love, I love this playbook environment. I want to be in it for a long time. I need to understand what's out there and I need to practice interviewing. So I did loads of them. And, you know, um, I had offers actually on the table from uh, Mongo, Sprinkler at the time. And then I got a call out the blue. And the call came from, I think it was first Jason and then second Izzy. And they said, we can't tell you where we're going, Marina, but you do not sign that contract that you've got in front of you. I hear you're about to sign it. Do not sign it. I send you a contract. You're going to come with us. It'll be a really good idea. And do you know what the funniest thing is? I didn't even think about it. I literally, I had the contract. So I was ready to sign them. And I didn't think about it. I said, um, okay. And they said, uh, trust us. And I said, I remember saying to my, uh, I called my dad at the time. And I was like, it's really weird things happening. He's like, no, like take the, take the job that's on the table. Don't just like 
sort of sign up for something you don't even know what it is. Anyway, I did it. Uh, I didn't sign the contract and I went to Zscaler and it was the best decision I have ever made. So there we go. So obviously, you know, you decided not to stay at Cisco because a large organization. Um, obviously, you've made a decision now to join Zscaler and obviously Zscaler is no startup. No, obviously, you've mentioned some of those elements in your criteria, which is obviously the people, the technology, the product market fit, as well as obviously being recession proof. Was there anything else? And again, going into a large organization that stopped you maybe joining a, a startup or maybe a more agile environment on paper? Yeah, but you have to remember when I joined Zscaler, it was 1,500 people. We were not a big organization, right? We're 7,000 today. So um, the way, and we were like a startup, right? We operated uh, like a startup. Decisions were quick. We made uh, we made choices. We changed things. We changed the way that we sold our products. It, it was like a kind of startup environment at that point. And it was really exciting because we were rebuilding something. Um, and that And that for me... I love that challenge. And now it's like a very different challenge, right? We are uh, a scale up. We're at about $1.7 billion in ARR. It's a big company. But with a big company like that, um, it, it, it represents a different kind of opportunity, um, which right now is reps will come here and do the biggest deals they will ever do in their career because the problem that we solve at Zscaler for executives, CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, is so vast that they will spend a huge amount of money on it. And the business case is so clear, CFO defensible, um, that it becomes a no-brainer, right? So, and I'm, that, I've made it sound like it's really easy and it's like flying off the shelves. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to, uh, but, you know, if you seize the opportunity and you have the right conversations at the right level, you follow the process, it, it, is, it is huge. And, you know, Actually, I've hired five, um, my team is now like five uh, majors reps. All of them have, uh, well, uh, four of them have all done their biggest deals of their entire career here. When I ran the enterprise team and started that, um, they, uh, all of them did their biggest deals that they'd ever done. And so I think with that opportunity, um, with that becomes a really exciting opportunity to, you know, again, push the bar a bit further. So, so obviously, you know, you, you, you've had an eight amazing years, you know, within the playbook community. Um, what do the next five years look like for, for, for Marina? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, so I think, I think for me, um, uh, you know, one of, uh, our, like one of the people that has mentored me for a long time always told me this, right? Um, you you don't want to ever be in a position where you have to ask for a promotion. You want to be such an obvious candidate that no one even thinks of anyone else. And I and I do genuinely, genuinely believe that. I think for me right now, it's around mastering um, mastering my craft, mastering what I do on an everyday basis to make sure that people you know leave my team at the end of the year and they are ten times better than when they started. That is like my goal. Um, from a like career perspective, um, my long-term goal, not in the next five years for sure, is to be a CRO, right, of a company. Um, and I know that there are a huge amount of gaps that I have on my CV right now that do not that, that I need to go and fill in the next five years. Whether that's you know running a region, um, getting experience of running you know multiple regions across Europe, then running a European team, whatever it is. I'm very uh, methodical in the way that I think about it, but I think. Um, 
for me, it's around planning. It's around making people aware of your uh, long-term objectives and getting them in for the ride with you, right? I think, you know, um, one of the one of the key things in any of these playbook companies and the advice that I would give people is build allies, right? We talk about it as internal champions, but really they're allies that care about you that, and you earn the right to have those people sponsor you effectively because you deliver, uh, you you make it a, a nice environment to work in. Um, but I can't I can't express the importance of those allies. You know, I've worked with uh, Jason Crean um, for the last eight years, and he has sort of, you know, enormously helped me in my career over that period of time. Um, and he is just an ally of mine. So um, I think you don't get anywhere without those kind of people. And it's also important to surround yourself uh, with people like Jason that challenge you every day, right? That don't say, oh, you're doing such a great job. Because that, that wouldn't be fun, right? If everyone told me that I was doing a great job all the time, I wouldn't still be here. Obviously, your first line at the moment, the transition to second line, how do you, obviously, there's the, you've always got a plan by the sounds of things, Marina. Um, what, what is the plan in regards to bridging some of those skill gaps? And what is the skill gaps that you see in transitioning from a first line to a second line leader? So I'll start with moving from an IC to a first line, and then I'll go to Amazing. that. So I think, I think it's like, it's, it's pretty scary moving from running your entire own business and being totally independent and responsible for your number to then you know taking on seven five six other reps and their responsibility because effectively you go from being you know uh well like single with no kids to married with sort of seven children uh, and for me i found that really difficult because i don't have children um and um you have to you have to you have to figure out that not everyone operates at the same intensity as you people respond different differently to feedback um so you have to give it differently and again going back to the point they made earlier it's like the it's like finding your feet of how to inspire while remaining credible being very new to the job right and and that's the thing like i am so grateful that i didn't move into leadership before before i did right and i pushed back a lot i didn't want to move into leadership at all i was making really good money i was like i i had a huge pipeline of deals in fact i would have made a lot more money if i just stayed in ic and um i and i was really enjoying the ic gig i had a great relationship with my se and it was fun we were getting into like a great rhythm um uh but you know, going into leadership, you then have to, um, you have to inspire that team. You have to uh, check in with the, like, make sure that everyone's okay. Um, you know, all of the things. And then I think second line, you're not so much about the revenue anymore, right? You have to, you can't, you can't super rep like you did with, when you were an RD because you'll lose your RDs. Well, your, your, your RDs will lose um, credibility and then the RSMs will start to not, you know, respond to, uh, to their RDs, uh, which will, which will in a, like make them leave. Um, you are now responsible for this much wider ecosystem. So you have to learn to get the best out of people that aren't salespeople, right? So they're not, they're not, they're not wired the same as us. So marketing, channel, you know, SDRs, uh, executives, uh, product, like everything. It becomes a very different thing. You're now running 
a, a wider business you're not just focused on revenue and you know at some levels you become also you know like almost like an hr manager right a lot of the things that you're dealing with are around people so to go back to your question on on where do i have gaps all of those things of course like um you know there are but there are things that you can work on at like at my level that i am working on right how to maximize lift from the channel or the partner community how can you do that uh, how can you start to build like grassroots relationships now um you know how um yeah how how do you get lift from marketing how do you make sure that all of the activities that we're doing from a marketing function are being followed up on how are they you know how are we actually able to use that data to uh to accurately say that it influenced certain deals or whatever it is so i think there you know that's a different challenge in its own not where i am right now right now my focus is um you know delivering a uh, um, almighty year for my team and and delivering on my promise that i made to them all uh, when i did hire them which was we'll all do 200% and we'll all go to club again and that and and the plan is it's clear you've got that north star you know you know where you're headed um but along that way and obviously this is the beginning part of your career right you know you speak about i'm going to i'm going to work harder i'm going to um you know beat my targets but by doing that you're making sacrifices right you're making sacrifices in because it comes with a time right it comes with time that it's going to take you to do each of those elements right which then comes with sacrifices what sacrifices have you made in the early part of your career and your outside career in order to get to where you've got to yeah see so, i mean well lots obviously because um uh, I mean, you have to work hard to be successful, right? And I wasn't the best. I categorically when I joined that dynamics, I was nowhere near the best. But I knew if I outworked everyone, I put in more hours than everyone, um I would simply get better results because that's just maths, isn't it? Um and I think I have maintained that through my whole career. Now, obviously I'm not telling everyone to work, you know, 14-hour days and and over the weekends and stuff like that. But when you're first starting out, absolutely. I mean you have to graft for it. No one's going to hand it to you on a plate. And you know Dali talks about this idea of investing in yourself. Like I definitely I I definitely do that, right? I take the time to learn the product. I don't rely on my engineers to know all of the answers. Um I read outside of work of how to get better. I get feedback. I go to a coach. I do all of these different things. And yes, naturally, you know, it might mean that I get home later, but at the same time you know i for me for example you know i've just i've just i bought a house when i left at dynamics um from you know the earnings from at dynamics and i've just redone the whole house like like that for me is a much bigger the pride that you have like walking into that home that you built and redid all of yourself from those late nights it makes it all worth it and for me you know you of course you have to have like a ecosystem around you at home that's supportive of that i'm very fortunate in that you know both of my parents are complete workaholics they do not really take holiday and if they take holiday they're on calls on something and so it's it's kind of the norm for me um i have a very supportive you know boyfriend who works in uh in in uh investment banking so you know he has worse hours than us so it's all relative um and i genuinely believe if if you are looking for if you're looking for a job where you're going to make um a decent amount of money you can't expect to be there 9 to 5 it's just not not realistic maybe that's not the pg answer sorry 
it's, it's the answer and it's the truthful answer, but it's also, you know, I think, you know, there, there is an entitlement, you know, when it comes to, to people, there's entitlement, right? And I think that it's really, really important that people understand that software sales is, is a tough game. It's not, it's not simple. There's lots of sacrifices that you need to make. And to be at the very top of your game, you need to make sacrifices. You can't expect to do it in a Monday to Friday, nine to five. Yeah, I mean, and and that's the other thing to like remember. It's like it's a roller coaster, right? You even like even my boss's boss's boss has a terrible day or a terrible week, right? It feels like everything's coming apart. The train is off the track, and like that's disastrous. Um, but the coolest thing about this job is that it's very easy to rectify these things. You figure out the risks, you get on the phone, you have conversations with people and you you work hard to fix it. Like that's the whole thing. But yes, absolutely. It's not a straight line. It's not easy. It's like a, a journey, that's for sure. So Marina, I'm, I'm really keen to understand, you know, Marina outside of work. Um, I know that you're a, you're a part of a, a number of charities and you support um, some really, really good causes. And I know you've obviously got a very entrepreneurial background with your own businesses. Can you give us a bit of an insight into who Marina is and what she does when she switches off from work? It's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I think my team don't believe I do anything outside of work, <laughs> but I do. Uh, I So there are a couple of things that I'm really interested in, right? I'm very active. I play a lot of tennis and sport. Um, but there are two things that I am like really passionate about. The first thing is uh, building companies, small companies, right? Nothing significant. Um, but I have a uh, I have started three businesses. Uh, one, uh, all of them continue to trade uh, now. Uh, one, which is uh, my main weekend focus, which is called Pink Diesel, which is a uh, bandol rose company. Um, if you haven't bought any, you can buy some now. Um, and that is honestly what keeps me creative. It's like a creative outlet that I have after a hard week of something that is tangible, that I can see on a shelf, that gets sold in a shop, um, that I love being part of. And evidently I don't have time to run any of it in the week. And I have an amazing co-founder um, who who does that, who runs it. Um, but I, I really love doing that. Some people play five-a-side football, um, but for me, uh, building a business is, is more interesting. And then second to that, you know, I uh, feel passionately about giving back. So I'm involved in a, in a number of different charities, uh, the Princess Trust being one, um, something called the Rise Programme, which is all around um, uh, investing in young adults and putting them into uh, jobs or uh, giving them micro loans in order to start their own businesses. Um, and I think it is so important um, that we are so fortunate in the roles that we are in and we um that that we that we help other people to do the same um whether it's you know half a day that you spend with six people helping them coach them on their interview that they've got a boots um or whether it's you know uh financing a loan for someone micro loans it's all paid back you know 500 quid for them to go start an e-commerce website on etsy or whatever it is i think it's so important and it's so nice um to be able to give to a charity um where you're not just giving money and it's disappearing you're actually giving it to people and helping them become self-sufficient i think that's a critical part um and then i have a uh, another charity called give a future that sits in ethiopia um which i spent quite a lot of time at uh, over the years 
Um, and that is, again, microfinance programs. That, that, from my degree, was one of the key reasons why I studied geography, to learn about microfinance and how it helped uh, the third world develop. Um, that charity is amazing. Uh, the kids now that we put through an orphanage are grown up, some of them are having babies, it's quite scary. Um, and so I stay very close uh, to that as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's so important when you work in such a fast paced environment like software sales to have other things going on on the outside. And actually, um, when I'm looking to hire people, quite often that's where I start. Like, mm. what do you, like, what gets you up in the morning? What's your why? Like, why do you care? Like, why are you going to, why are you going to go through um, the hard things, run through walls, all of that stuff. And quite often the only way that you find that out is uh, through the people um, who have interesting things going on at home or feel passionate um, about things outside of work. And I think it, it makes a much more rounded individual personally. It's such a humbling thing to, to hear uh, Marina and, 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 I think, you know, I don't want to get too deep here, but, you know, do you ever switch off? No. <laughs> Probably not. Do, do, you know, do, do, do your loved ones ever have any concerns about, you know, always being on and, you know, in, in these types of environments and the, the pressures that you put yourself under with these multiple jobs and lots of things to help people? Are you ever concerned or are you ever concerned about getting burnt out and... And how do you stop that? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, it's definitely something that everyone should think about. So I think I think I have a very healthy balance, right? I go to bed at a normal time. I have a very clear routine. Everything is in a calendar uh, that I follow. I make time to see my friends. Otherwise, you're right, I wouldn't. I make time to see my family. I'm a very family and friend-orientated person. And... Uh, I try now that I'm in leadership and, you know, I've done the last eight years. Uh, I try to keep the weekends free and I do most of the time. Right. Um, and that's like, yeah, that's like sacred time where I can do, do what I do, what I want, do pink diesel, uh, do the charity stuff. Um, but equally, you know, I think going back to, uh, what we were talking about earlier, sales does allow some level of you know flexibility right for example you could get like i get up really early and i like the time when i get up and no one else is emailing me right but that might mean i might get up at like six o'clock and work all the way down through the day but that might mean on a friday that i log off at four o'clock and that's fine so i think yeah it's yeah. It, it's uh, everyone has to find their rhythm I think for now, I found it. It's definitely something that I reflect on uh, lots to figure out whether I'm doing too much and all of those things. Um, but I think if you're fit, healthy, getting enough sleep, then you're good. Um, so Marina, um, for individuals that are thinking about getting into software sales um, and actually making a career for it, um, obviously the money can be exceptional, but at the same time, should people do it just for the money? No, in short, I don't think so. I don't think, you know, classic uh, comment, but like money doesn't buy happiness. You have to really want to do this job and enjoy it every day. But yes, obviously the money is a huge upside, but you don't make money in software sales without grafting and the hard work that comes behind it. So you really need to be like fully invested in it. But, you know, from an entry level job perspective, 
when you're leaving university, I feel very strongly that an SDR job or a BDR job is a fantastic stepping stone in the right company from a learning development perspective and from an earnings perspective, right? You know, there's not many jobs where you leave university where you're being paid, I don't know, I don't know what the salaries are now, but I think 40, 50 grand. You know, that's a huge amount of money leaving university. My first job, I got paid, in fact, I got 21 grand. That was my first job. I don't think I could even eat for a year and live for a year with that now. Absolutely. And, and, and you're totally right. I'm focusing on that point, right? Entry level 40 to you know, 50,000 um, on target earnings. And, and quickly, as soon as you get out onto the field, you can look at anything from you know, north 120,000 on target earnings to, to, to 200,000 now for a, an enterprise rep, right? So you know, the, the money is absolutely exceptional. Um, what three bits of advice could you give to um, anybody thinking about entering into software sales? So I think first, first and foremost, right, it's all around finding a company that is going to develop you and invest in you and leaders that care about you. So leadership and development, number one, 100%. You're not going to be successful if people don't back you and invest in you. The second thing is have a genuine curiosity for the thing that you are doing genuinely want to understand the problems that the solution solves, genuinely care about the problems that your customers are facing and how you can articulate solving those problems. Um, that, that, that curiosity piece is so essential, particularly as you're just starting off and, and having you know, the confidence to ask why or ask for help or ask for people's time. You know, the worst thing that someone can say is no, and you just get back on with it. And rarely they will say no, because everyone's pretty nice. Um, and then the third thing I would say is have a growth mindset, right? Be open-minded about um, feedback, about suggestions that people make. Because when you first come into this world, it's complicated, right? There are a lot of things to learn um, and get feedback from people and be open um, to areas or challenges or things that you can improve on. Um, and that will stand you in, in really good stead for being a very, very coachable um, person, which is a critical component of anyone working uh, in these playbook companies. <laughs> awesome. I think that's a really good place to kind of, um, you know, to, to conclude, Marina. I, I think, you know, there's, some, there's some, some key things that really jump out at me. I think the things that have really resonated with me personally is... is you know, the, the, the fact that you're someone that, you know, by your own admission, you, you don't claim that it's a talent thing. It, it is about having a plan. It's about having a strategy and being relentless and dedicated and going above and beyond and sticking to the plan. And actually, it's the fundamentals that have served you well. It, you know, it, it's not about doing something which is, you know, obviously, we talk about science and artistry, and it's not about necessarily just doing something that others can't do it's about doing the things that really matter consistently time and time again and really being true to those and i think that's 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 so key i think that's that's you know that's so fundamental and uh, just want to say a massive thank you to you for for spending this time with us we've really enjoyed uh, having you on the, on the show it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me yeah, it's been an absolute insightful um, interview. We've really, really appreciated so much of what you've had to share today. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you again for, uh, for joining us today.
to all our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Um, please do like and subscribe to our various channels, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. And we look forward to welcoming you back to a, sh a show soon. Thank you very much.